Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm a feminist, but today on Instagram, I put a story up, a picture up saying, I'm just off to walk in the snow. But the picture I posted of myself was one that was taken last year when I was allowed to have a professional makeup artist and blow dry. And I looked really, really pretty. And I just posted that and then waited for the compliments to roll in, which they did. And to close friends, I said, this is not how I really look. I have to confess to you, this is from a photo shoot last year. And I sent them back a real picture of me just looking very dull with my hair unbrushed. But to other people, I did not. I just let them think I looked pretty because I can look as pretty as that. It's not my fault I don't look as pretty as that. I don't look as pretty as that because my natural beauty is predicated on a team of experts. Is that my fault? <laughs> no, it isn't. I, so it's the pandemic's fault. I wanted to look pretty. I'm not going to run into anyone on the snowy walk anyway. They, if I do, they can't talk to me. They have to stand two feet away. So who gives a fuck? If I put out a prettier image of myself than I am, and in the end, I didn't even go for the walk. <laughs> Lied about the walk, just stayed at home, stayed at home, looking grungy, but out there in the real world, people think I went for a walk looking like a made up goddess. <laughs> Have I done any harm? I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe I've depressed a few people who think, man, Deborah can still manage to do all of this. I don't know why I look like this because look at Deborah. Maybe I did depress a few people. If I depressed you with my hotness, I apologize. I apologize. Maybe you also encouraged people to make a bit of an effort before they went out for their walks. Maybe, mm. Edith Bowman. Mm. Maybe I did. Maybe I, you know, maybe you know I what? pepped people up because they looks whipped awesome. on me eyeliner. And yeah, I, I, mean, I want to look awesome. Yeah. I'm going to put a bit of blush on today before I go out walking snow. Maybe I did. Do you know what? Maybe I put a pep in people's step as they reached for that liquid eyeliner and those hair straighteners. And maybe they all got out there and mixed it up looking fabulous like they were going out for a night out in a, in a discotheque. <laughs> in a puffer jacket. As you do. <laughs> oh, uh, Kima Bob, do you have an I'm a feminist butt? I do. I'm a feminist, but 
I felt that not wanting to cook or knowing how to cook made me a better feminist. Um, what lockdown has exposed is that it just makes me an asshole who's hungry a lot. Um, so not a better feminist, just sometimes about to faint. Uh, <laughs> and a really good microwave chef. So if anybody, you know what I'm saying, whether you're working with that 750, that 800, you know, whether you got that 1,000 watts, you holler at your girl. <laughs> But seriously, though, uh, M&S microwave meals, yes. <laughs> if you're listening, M&S, and you're looking for an Instagram Live sponsor, I think you've just found the answer to all of your problems. It's uh, I don't know. It feels like someone cared about it. Like some microwave meals, you're like, well, this tastes like it knows I don't care about myself. But when you eat the <laughs> M&S one, you go, hmm. <laughs> You know, and maybe that's the extra money in it. I don't know, but it does taste like someone cared once. <laughs> okay, so uh, I'm a feminist, but I was 100% delighted when Rachel Reed, who's one of our Patreon people, directed me to a Spotify playlist made by a Guilty Feminist listener called I'm a Feminist, but this is the best misogyny I've ever heard. Yeah. Uh, yes. Featuring yeah. Better Than Revenge by Taylor Swift. This is the lyrics from this Guilty Feminist listener's favourite playlist song. Uh, she's not a saint and she's not what you think, but she's an actress. Whoa. She's better known for the things that she does on the mattress. Whoa. Soon she's going to find stealing other people's toys on the playground won't make you any friends. Taylor. Taylor was having a day off feminism that day. Ooh. Yeah. She wrote that. But it's Who's it. she talking about, though? Ooh. Well, I know. I know it's got to be someone famous, hasn't it? She's an actress. actress. It says she's an actress. We've, we could narrow it down. It's very Who do we touchy. think she stole from her? Harry Styles? Not None of it's feminist. I don't know. Again, I don't know. Well, who dated Taylor Swift's boyfriend after Taylor Swift? That's the question. I can't even keep up honestly like i remember one time taylor swift went out with john mayer and that was the that was the last one for me <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, honestly is he not like 80 i remember that era yeah she wrote a song about him didn't she called <gasps> dear john is about john mayer oh because he's, he's a bad man yeah that's the, that's basically how the song goes <laughs> yeah Wow. You heard it not first here on The Guilty Feminist, but I heard it first here on The Guilty Feminist. I'm behind with my show business news. So, yeah, I was so excited to discover that playlist existed. Thank you, Rachel Reed. Absolutely loved it. Do you have another I'm a Feminist but Kima Bob? Uh-oh. <laughs> so it just turned into DMX slash Scooby-Doo. Uh-oh. <laughs> well, um... I'm a feminist, but I uh, was too lazy to write more. I'm a feminist, but so I, <laughs> I put out a call to the interwebs and it did prove fruitful. Um, and I just got to say, you know, a lot of these people listening, you know, they ought to be talking. These people are hilarious. <laughs> I'm a piece of crap. So from... <laughs> I think I think this is pretty funny. Okay, this is from Iona H. Okay, at Iona HR. 
I'm a feminist, but whenever I visit home, my mother's place is in the kitchen, which is just a nod to how much I also don't want to make food. Solidarity. It's just, I'm just glad to know other people out there uh, refuse to feed themselves. I've actually looked at your Twitter and there's loads now. There's a very powerful stuff happening. It's great. I just love that uh, the internet was like, I see that you don't want to do this, that you are not able to do this. I'll do it. Someone called Deanne Kunkel says, I'm a feminist, but if you won't take me for dinner, you don't really want to fuck me. Yeah, and I'm with that. I'm with that. Word up. Um, This is kind of funny. Andrew Allen said, I'm a feminist, but I asked Twitter for a joke, knowing that a white dude would enter my mentions. <laughs> um, and I was just like, spot on, my boy. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, well, I'm a feminist, but when I found the playlist that Rachel Reed directed me to, can I tell you that I found four more playlists from Guilty Feminist listeners? One called I'm a feminist, but one called I'm a feminist, but not right at this second. (laughs) And one called, which I love, I'm a feminist, but this slaps. Fair, fair, fair. fair. And another I'm a feminist, but. And I've never been more proud. And they all, I believe, contain, all of these playlists all contain the Taylor Swift song, Better than no. Revenge. Yes. <laughs> that's right. Damn. People feel really bad about that's liking right. that. That's, that's right. fun. I mean, this I've never been more proud of the Guilty Feminist listeners than right at this moment. When everyone got mad, uh, um, when, when Blurred Lines uh, happened and everyone was like, this song is horrible. And I was like, mm, is it? It's, fucking, it's a good song. It's very fun. Yeah, don't have women on leashes, but also I do want it. And he knows. And that's good that he knows I want it. <laughs> Kima Bob. That's, He's just you've a, crossed a line. Yeah. You've crossed a line. Well, it. it's over. You can't. Put me on a playlist. Well, that's <laughs> the end of this then. <laughs> I mean, I have danced to it. Oh, we've all but... danced to it and felt bad about it. We, but we, but I wouldn't we put might... it on a playlist, though. I mean, it is on one of those playlists. I'd lie out a look. It is on one of. Mm. Listen, it's a tune. Oof. We have it to is. admit it's a tune, but it's yeah. got a very bad message. It was and someone else's tune before they stole it as well, though. Oh, yeah, they the did the get, sampling. No, listen, it's a tune, a stolen tune with a very bad message. <laughs> I have one more. Go on. At some point, I think we'd all agree with it. Um, this. Comes by way of Anya Magliano, brilliant comedian. Yeah. You can find her at Anya Mags. She said, I'm a feminist, but I've gotten to the point where I'd actually pay for a man to use my lower back as a pivoting point in a semi crowded bar. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel that. I just want someone to kind of like scooch by. And just pretend to not to have enough space so I could feel somebody behind me for a second. Oh, yeah, that thing men do where they brush up against you as if they couldn't help it, but really they yeah, couldn't. Yeah, like there's nowhere and else to trying, go. They're trying to scooch. I don't know, I'm uh, Like the it. sound guy trying to attach the microphone. Yeah, <laughs> you know. 
I find British techs always very tentative and they're all like, oh, oh, oh. And I'm just like, just bang it on my bra. Come on, yeah. do it with a bit of fine. authority. Yeah. Where do you want me to put the pack? I'm like, could you stick it on my bra? And they go, <gasps> oh. The coyness, the coyness of the British tech. I love, I remember being in Italy and the Italian man just grabbing me and just thrusting the mic on. It was a fantastic. <laughs> I just want to be touched by someone apart from my husband, obviously. Yeah. But yeah, just quite, oh. yeah. Yeah. And there we go. I'm a, girl, I'm a feminist, but I just want to be touched by someone. someone who isn't your husband. It's it's a reasonable request at this point of lockdown. It's honestly. getting there, isn't it? Okay. It is. It, it's, it's getting there. <laughs> it's really getting there. There's going to be orgies after this, I'm telling you. There's going to be proper 100%. orgies. I look forward to throwing and attending such events. Yeah. <laughs> throwing and attending. festivals. It would just be a constant summer of like eyes wide shut. It's kind of oh just. My God. So, yeah. um, but no one will bother with the masks because fuck masks yeah. after this. We've had enough masks, oh my man. God. Eyes wide shut yeah. sans masks. It'll just be like, look, this is my face. It wants sex. Are you surprised? From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Kima Bob, and our very special guest, Edith Bowman, with music from Grace Petrie, talking about the self. Woo! Yeah! Oh, yeah. Yes! <laughs> I should explain you're the only audience. We normally have a live theatre audience, so we do this kind of faux applauding to make it feel like the other does. <laughs> faux? Speak for yourself. That was from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> I'm waving at them right now as we... Uh, yeah. yeah. Hello, Hello audience. audience. We're not live streaming. Um, does this laughter sound distant? <laughs> <laughs> it does. It sounds distant. Excellent. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists, our hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White. With me is Kima Bob, and we're talking about the self. Kima Bob, how are you? Uh, I'm cool, man. Snow has been happening. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and now that I've removed the kind of physical element of the coldness, what I'm left with is the sight of it. And it's actually quite enjoyable to look at. Yeah, it's absolutely glorious to look at. And it's something else. It's like a new view, which I love. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to feel it, but I do feel like I live in a snow globe <laughs> and that is lovely. <laughs> quite so, quite so. I agree. Um, now, what we do is introduce, so normally if we were in the theatre, Edith, at this point you'd be in the audience and Grace would be in the green room and we'd all be, you know, and then we would call you onto the stage and you'd have a big moment. Uh, but we've... Would I be wearing heels? Yeah, you'd be wearing <laughs> if heels. If you wanted to, lush, yeah. You would feel pressured to do it. You'd yeah. have an outfit. God, it's you would have so had a drink long. in the bar beforehand. We would have bought yeah. you a drink. Wow. Um, Let's, can we do room. another one? Can I come back and we do another one? Because she's really cool. I just want to hang out. I just want to be people. <laughs> oh, in of course. I would love that. <laughs> we'll all hang out in the green room and we'll have okay. snacks and drinks and... Throw I'll a head too many. It, laughter, it'll be wonderful. <laughs> Margaret Cabon Smith came up with this game. It's a Facebook thread of Margaret Cabon Smith, who's done this show before several times and is a brilliant comedian. She says, I'm missing going out so much, I've started daydreaming about the worst kind of events that I would still say yes to. <laughs> I would go to the Aberdeen Steakhouse Aww. on New Year's Eve with all the men who've ever rejected me. <laughs> Actually, I'm still quite fond of a few of them, so I'll chuck in a girl from school who hates me. <laughs> um, and so people started uh, saying, 
what they would say yes to right now. Somebody says, uh, Pippa Evans, the wonderful Pippa Evans says, I would go to Zoo Bar in Leicester Square at 1am with a friend who will leave me as soon as she sees (laughs) someone she can pull, feel 100 years old, pay £7 for a watered-down G&T and then wait for a night bus home (laughs) without my shoes on because an underage girl in a very tight dress chucked up all over them. Um, (laughs) So this is my question to the assembled company. Mm. What would you do right now? What would you do right now? So I said I would perform my solo stand-up show to my friend's mum and her boyfriend only, which I had to do once because they'd driven in from Essex. And I thought, I can't just say go back. So I had to do a stand-up show for just my friend's mum and her boyfriend. Um, Mm. I would do that. And then I would pay for drinks in the bar for a more successful comedian whose show had just been a triumph in the next room, who would come out <laughs> surrounded by industry people and throbbing fans. I would do that now. I would absolutely, I would absolutely wow. do that. I mean, I'm delighted to say that might not happen anymore because of the guilty feminist, but I would, if you asked me for a night out, I'd be like, yeah, it'd, it'd be something different, wouldn't it? I'll do it. Mm. Kima, what would you do? Um, There's a tough one, but I would go somewhere where both my mom and Nana had alcoholic beverages, <laughs> which is spicy because they do not get along. And it's like magic. And by <laughs> magic, I mean something and something else. When you put them together, always an explosion. So I would endure wondering if I will ever have a healthy relationship with my daughter just for a nice <laughs> night out. Nice. Nice. <laughs> That's a good one. I think of that every time. Every time we get together, I go, is this what it's always going to be like for us? Yes. Um, The brilliant Brona C. Titley says, I would be the sole audience member at a one-man play called Meninist, written by and starring Lawrence Fox. Love Um, it. (laughs) (laughs) Bloody hell. Um, Not sure I would. (laughs) That's really pushing it, isn't it? Yeah, I choose Panny D, I think. (laughs) What would you do, though, Grace, for a night out? Well, um, I was just thinking about this for a night out. So once upon a time, I did a gig for, um, I've done a lot of gigs for trade unions. And trade unions are fantastic organisations. They're great ones for overestimating how many people are coming (laughs) to the rally. Um, And I did a, I once played a rally somewhere in the West Midlands and there was an assembled audience crowd of, it was about 15 people and seven of them were speaking and it was pissing it down. So we were all under this gazebo and I, they always get me on because I'm like, you know, they can't afford Billy Bragg and I'll do anything. So, uh, they, so, so, so I was kind of, and I turned up and they said, I said, where do you want me to plug in? And they said, you can plug in your guitar over here and then uttered, the eternal words, we've got a microphone, but no stand. So Jack's just going to hold it for you. And Jack was one of the trade union officials who's wearing a high-vis vest. And he, true to form, for a 20-minute set, he stood just with his arm out holding the microphone in front of me. But he was so rightfully uncomfortable about the whole situation that he sort of refused to look at me for the entirety of the set. And he was quite a lot taller than me. So because he was refusing to look at me, his arm kept drifting up. So I sort of ended up on my tiptoes trying to rally the troops, you know, of the people who were my assembled comrades in arms. And, you know, it's a wonder the left don't win, isn't it? It's a wonder the left never win anything. So so you would do a trade union gig 
to without a to, mic stand to fewer than 10 people with a human mic stand oh, oh. yeah absolutely yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and it. I'd love it and say thank you afterwards Edith yeah. Bowman what would you do for a night out at the moment probably have another c-section <laughs> <laughs> Now you win. You win. Yeah. Yeah. Crank the volume up and just pump the drugs in, man. Yeah. Yeah. Be like, yeah. Would you have a DJ at your C section? Is that what you're implying? Well, my husband, bless him. So I've got two boys and I've got this kind of dull heart thing that meant I had to have C sections. So he made a playlist for when we went in to have Rudy. And he didn't tell me what was on it. It was, you know, supposed to be a surprise. And then we kept the CD and we used the same CD for when we had Spike. And it was quite interesting because they were born to different songs. But I I remember like um, the first time round of being slightly nervous, obviously, about what was going on, you know, not being able to feel or see anything and just turning around to my consultant and going, can you just turn it up a little bit, please? Because I couldn't quite hear the, the tunes Um <laughs> loud huh. enough so wow. when I went back for the second time he had it absolutely pumping wow which oh was hilarious God. same consultant is we've, got, we've got a cat <laughs> interruption a cat. now I think oh. as well That's my headphones my headphones just died but I have um, my spare ones here um, oh. I mean I do miss the days of the theatre when you left your pets at home I think everyone <laughs> misses not having their pets and their children at their job like 24 7. 24 I mean, 7. 24 7. We've been together all day. I'm really sorry. I'm not going to read you bedtime stories for an hour and a half, but <laughs> I would just quite like to have a small window of opportunity that does not involve someone else. Yeah. 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 Oh, and to experience that while awake. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not have someone I mean, climbing on me in the waking hours. How wow. old are your little ones, Edith? There are seven and twelve. Oh, um, that's quite old. I thought they were like yeah. tiny, tiny. No, old no, no. Send them up for a uh, pension. <laughs> yeah, I'm already thinking about what his weekend job's going to be come summer. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, yeah, they need a. They got way too easy. They need a bit of a kind of sharp reality first. Really, <laughs> I was kind of you know I was slave labouring from the age of eight in my family's hotel cleaning out bedrooms and stuff so yeah. it's about time I put them to work really that's I'll put right. give them that Oliver chimney. that's what I say yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so just to say who we've got in our posse today our audience slash posse in this Zoom world where we now live subterranean we have as ever uh, well as ever that's not fair um, as often <laughs> as often <laughs> The wonderful Grace Petrie, who's going to sing us a Hello. song later. Hello. And be. Frank the Dog. Who's Frank the Dog, as always. He won't be singing you a song later unless things go wrong. Oh, no, okay. but he is, he's there. He's present. He loves the guilty feminist. I feel like Frank's a feminist. <laughs> uh, uh, sure, yeah. And our, well, he's not because he doesn't like you going to work. Um, but he does oh, she had headphones on, though. You should have headphones on him so he can at least hear what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, I put my girlfriend's glasses on him the other day and it didn't go so well for us. So we were trying to mine Instagram content. It's a yeah. uh, it's dry times. days around here. Uh, dry days. You know, we do, we, we do what we you need know, to the do. Cupboard right. The cupboard is bare. The cupboard is bare. Anyway, yeah, he's a very feminist, feminist guy. And our wonderful guest who I'm going to introduce with her spectacular bio later on, but most of our listeners, I think, will already know her, the wonderful Edith Bowman. Hello, Edith Bowman. Hi. Um, 
So excited to be here, by the way. I'm so, I'm so excited that you're here. So excited that you're here. This is your, we're a very glad. Like guest. I can smell you all as well. Uh, <laughs> that's just a vibe. Let's just let's just put it. There's it's an great. energy. It's palpable, which means when you can feel it, I believe, and it's here tonight. It's a palpable energy that's that's yeah. radiating through our Zoom world. I'm a palpit. <laughs> so. Kima, we're talking about the self. And you are, this is a great thing, I think, because you are a very selfie self person, if you see what I mean. You're very individual. Whoa. You have a big self, a unique self. Thank you. A lot of people blend into the, each other, if I'm honest. You know, you, you know see what? one you see one person, you think they're a bit like this other person. We know we society is is a way of making people conform, which to yeah, a certain it extent encourages we need to you do. to. Like even at one point when you know uh, the beloved uh, Kim Kardashian was like, "I'm going to become my own self, and I'm going to make myself this kind of special." That's what we're going to call it. Uh, <laughs> And yeah, now everyone's just kind of become herself. So yes, I, I know what very you mean. Insightful. Yeah, it's a weird one though because I've spent a lot of time in this pandy trying to like understand myself and get to know myself a bit more. Oh, a big word that has come up recently: understanding. Understanding, mm. and I've been trying to get a better understanding of myself, um, so that I can better understand everyone else and one thing i'll tell you that i've learned is one i got to be more compassionate to myself we got to be more compassionate to ourselves and to each other um and two yeah i'm living in this individual body but we're all together baby yeah (laughs) um can i just say that the lockdown state has made you a lot more californian Oh my goodness. You have no idea. <laughs> if by Californian you mean legalize it, <laughs> <laughs> then oh. I did not mean that, but I do West, now. West Coast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I've been reading fucking Eckhart Tolle, man. Like, I'm just sitting in here. I do little meditations every morning. I've got time, baby, and I'm loving it. Oh. Because uh-huh. the chemo Bob I know is. I would say quite mid-Atlantic. You've got a, an edge of New York to you with a little sprinkle of Texas, but also <laughs> you're quite London now. You've been in London a long time. So now I see I'm just beaches a- and tacos, baby. I'm trying to surf. <laughs> Let's surf. I mean, the great thing about London and New York is you can be whoever you want to be in response to this mm-hmm. metropolis. And there's room for everybody and you can grow into your best self in a place where there are lots of different identities and you can always find people who are like you and who are different from you, who want to hang with you, who want to sit with you. And I feel like I've seen you really blossom and grow in your time in London. Thanks, man. Everybody, um, yeah, everyone move here. Why not? Uh, well, right at the moment, <laughs> there's a reason. Oh, is this not a good time? <laughs> no. Don't why would you say that? Why, do, why is it not a good time? I believe... You've got to do that 10-day uh, in that weird hotel thing, haven't you, before you can go anywhere. So, yeah, that's a good... Oof. Well, not any... No, Oof. Matt Hancock has no? said only if you think you might have COVID, which, of course, no one's going to go... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Oh, gosh. It's actually unbelievable. Oh, my gosh. That's no hilarious. That's hilarious. Jeez. It's like if, you, if you've got reason to think that you've got it. I Instagrammed about this today. 
Look, I I can't even tell when I actually have thrush. Okay, how am I, <laughs> I supposed? I don't know when I've got my period. Yeah, when I have Until COVID. A are I you kidding it. me? Yeah, are you and then kidding I go, me? Oh, hold on, are these symptoms my period that I've had every yeah. single month since yeah. I was fourteen? Yeah, the other day I was walking, I came on my period, but initially I thought that someone turned me on on the street, and I said, "No, that moisture." <laughs> <laughs> Look, look, how we can't do this ourselves. That's not fair. Yeah, I remember that. I don't have periods anymore because I've got a coil in, so I never... Respect. I didn't know a coil stopped having periods. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. I took mine out because I said, are these chemicals affecting my state of mental health and well-being? And (laughs) I think they were, so I had to go ahead and yank her. Yanked her really? out. So the coil. That's fun. Can... That's fun, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it sounds altogether uncomfortable. Mm, the things we do to not <laughs> procreate. Yeah, but I know I became a lesbian. <laughs> you could have just got a coil, Grace. Absolutely, I could have just got a. Nobody coil. told wow. you about the coil. Yeah, I oh, know. Here we are. Well, I, I'm, I'm 33 years down Come the line, on, man. man. So Way to commit. Time, commitment to the bit, eh? Yeah. Well, you could do the second 33 years playing for the other team as a straight woman. Do you think so? Do you think that's what? Do, do, do you envisage the next period of my life as being an absolute <laughs> man eater, Deb? Oh. Um, Listen, I wouldn't rule anything out in this year of strange years. Grace Petrie. You're you're safe with that one, I think. Okay. You can rule that out. You might get more bi or more pan. I'm not saying you would eliminate women from your diet entirely. Well... Yeah, no, I but I've always said, I mean this is wildly off topic, but I always said I would I have I've never ruled out fellas. Just never have never um, ruled been one in one up to now. No, they're fully ruled in. They're ruled I've got but a, you haven't an ruled an individual ruler. man in. Like you haven't you've not ruled anybody out. <laughs> you, you, made me, you made me sound like the monarch of a kingdom. I rule this man into pass. Um, no, I've never I have never I've never ruled a man in any in any way. Okay, you maybe can take that's that where you're you, going wrong. Maybe Maybe if there was more of a sort of scepter involved and you got to sort of just tell him what to do, it might actually be quite appealing. I thought there was a scepter involved. That's the, that's the books hey. that I read. Hello. 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 Hey. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, all I'm saying is basically you leave the house every day open to the idea that a man might draw your eye, but he never has. Oh, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. I thought you were going to say I leave the house every day looking (laughs) looking for a man to have sex with. (laughs) Every day. Currently, I'm in a monogamous relationship, so we'd probably have to chat that over, I think. Open to the idea that a man might, you know... Yes. Draw the eye. Yes. I'm not saying you yeah. definitely then jump. Well, bed you know, I mean, I was locked down with Foki Ben, as you know, mm. for many, many months. <laughs> many months. And I think if anything was going to break my homosexuality, it would have been him because he's a jolly attractive fellow. Yeah. Um, but I think, alas, we we are. That's the desert island we, test. This really, is, this You've is the it, team I'm on. Your desert island disc luxury wasn't Foki Ben. That's true, yeah. It was not Fokie Ben. I, I wonder if he's listening. I mean, you know, you're missed for your violin playing capabilities, but not for your ability Penis. to... Uh, to <laughs> not for your scepter. It's, it's a- we salute you. We raise a glass to you in absentia, Fokie Ben. Fokie Ben, you are welcome 
to fiddle, but only in one sense of that word. <laughs> mm. um, I better tell him when this episode's coming out because hell's bells. But <laughs> he'll get a lot of messages. Is he single? He? Um, I don't know. Um, I've he got was, a wee couple was... of really nice single mates. If he is. Okay, he was dating somebody before. You can cut this out. You probably should cut this out. Okay. He was dating out, somebody before lockdown and he went on a date with somebody from one of the apps. And the first thing she said was, um, I think I heard you on The Guilty Feminist. I was like, this is, he's cashing in now. He's cashing in. Oh, oh yeah. Coming on the show gets men laid. Yeah. Boys I've nannied for have played this card on dates and apps and stuff. And yeah. uh, it's like, oh, yeah, The Guilty Feminist used to be my nanny. And uh, that apparently, you know, opens doors. I don't, mm. I don't know what, what that particular. That's let's amazing. Definitely cut this out. Um, oh, for sure, because I want to oh say because it's as brilliant, adorable little uh, Kimabab, the little curious girls and whatnot, and they're like mm-hmm, Kimabab, and I'm like, yeah. Moral of the story is this: yeah, people do, and they'll be like, I find you attractive, but then you have to be like. No, because you don't know me. You know, podcast me, and they're not the same. Are they, though? I don't think you've got much of a filter. In real life, you are exactly like this, Kima. <laughs> I mean, but I don't depression here. Oh, no, no, mm. no. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. But none of us do. But that leads us to today's topic absolutely brilliantly, that what we put out there, the two selves, the public self and the private self, and they, of course, do have crossover, but they are not the same thing. And for reasons of feminism, we need to discuss how they differ, why they need to differ, and we don't need to be putting our private self out the whole time either. Sometimes we now feel this obligation to be putting ourselves out all the time, and if you know, to be to be destigmatizing sad days. And it's like sometimes I don't want to destigmatize a sad day. I just want to have a sad mm-hmm. day. Don't yeah. want to publish it. Don't want to put it out there. I don't want to be an activist for my own sadness. Sometimes. Yeah, I think like what you said was brilliant which is that we don't have anywhere to go so this virtual space has become where we show up to to represent ourselves and it's a weird one and I feel that sometimes I feel myself pick up my phone to reach out but not in a direct way right not enough to like call a friend but I do want some kind of connection and that's where like Twitter comes into play I'm like if I text somebody that is very direct but maybe i'll come across i don't know if i'm fishing for like a kind of acquaintance feel or like you know pass by in the building say hey that random thing that you get outside of your core inbox but But also if you text someone and they text you back that's a commitment to an interaction whereas if you put something out on twitter if somebody you like dms you or retweets you or or you just see people engaging with you or favouriting, it's a sort of very light touch interaction. And if someone tweets back and you don't feel like interacting, you actually don't have to. There's mm. an obligation. But if you yeah, tweet like someone, how are you, and for... they tweet back, oh, I'm not doing very well, and you think, well, I can't deal with that, then you've just left them hanging. You've literally <laughs> disrupted them to say, I'm not interested in you. <laughs> how are you? Not well. Mm. Well, I don't care. <laughs> just, you can't do that. You can't do that. Mm, um, nothing. Edith, what were you going to say? I was just going to say that I find it that I think I have always, weirdly with broadcasting, I've I've really tried to 
be the same person on mic and on camera as I am off. Mm. And I think with social media, I definitely, well, I would like to hope I'm the same self that I'm promoting, but I just don't show all of it, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So I choose the things of my real self that I want to show. They're still very much the same self that's, you know, bathing the kids or whatever, you know, but I, I choose what it is that I show of myself. Yeah. So I guess there is a falseness to that in a way because, but then it's... I think I'm the same, always, Edith. I am who I am. I'm just Well, now it sounds up. like I'm two people. <laughs> no, no, no. I know what you mean. But I think I'm myself dialed up, but... You curate. You have to. You have to. You can't put everything out all the time. No one wants that. No one wants it. No one wants everything all the time. You have to curate for your own health, for your own sanity, but also for your own personhood, for your own identity. You have to choose what to reveal and what to conceal and what to... It's like makeup. You're revealing, you're concealing, you're highlighting, you're playing, you're making your eyes Mm -hmm. bigger, you're making your lips redder. It's fun. It's play. But when you take your makeup off at night, you know, if you wear makeup, this is for people who wear makeup, this metaphor. If you don't wear a lot of makeup, this metaphor's lost on you. And I'm sorry. (laughs) I apologise for it. But you know what I mean? You you zhuzh it up. You're going on a night out. You think, oh, I might put on my posh jacket or my, yeah. my, my red converse. It's all fun or... and games until you uh, are uncomfortable with the sight of your own face, at which point you might need to go, are we okay? Do we need help? That's a great extension of the metaphor, Kima. You're right. I think I use these glasses. I mean, I need them for screens because otherwise my eyes hurt, but I definitely use them as face armour because then I don't have to bother with all oh, the liquid same. eyeliner and stuff that makes my eyes look bigger, which I like. And it's sort of how I know myself. Um, yeah. I mean, do you think my hair is big because of genetics? I mean, yes, but also to hide my face. What? Oh, yeah. Beautiful face. Oh, yeah. Oh, I don't hate it, but this is my my makeup. That's (laughs) That's your armor, is big hair and teal, LGBT hair is the shade. Get it big, get it colorful. Put a little bit of it right there. It's green. It's green. (laughs) Yeah, it's green. It's up stages. I agree. But you've got a very pretty face. Thanks, Deb. So let's just pause to acknowledge that everyone here is super gorgeous and hot. Yeah. That's a, no, we don't. That's Done. The, the we don't have to say caveat, it again. We're all hot. I use a lot of filters. <laughs> I use Calm a filter down. now. Chill out, Ida. Filters make you feel better sometimes. That's the thing. It's like, you know, I think that's where my false self comes in. Yeah. In terms of you have a look at something you're going to post with just the kind of the normal, you know, Instagram choice and you go ooh, it's a bit rough yeah i like paris on stories i like paris and i like la as well well la i think is more obvious filter and i'm going for understatement (laughs) i don't want anyone thinking i'm using a filter it's a disingenuous sometimes some of the filters have like the little names that come up on the top of the posts where you go you know, supplied by oh. whatever it is. Oh, no. I'm, oh, like I'm not, the no. fun filters. <laughs> yeah, the fun filters, yeah. I mean, it's fine if you're trying to be like 
baby Yoda from the Mandalorian, that's kind of obvious. But when it's just kind of <laughs> trying to give you a bit more of a cheek or, you know, a sort yeah, of it's like, well, is this happening? frown line removal or whatever, it's like, oh, I don't want people to know. But it's I don't want it very to say clearly frown obvious. line filter on top. That's defeats <laughs> the purpose. There's yeah. a 10 years younger yeah. filter. That's what defeats yeah. the purpose. Of course, if you look, just if you're going to look like a bunny rabbit, then fine. <laughs> yeah. I don't care if people know that I don't really look like a bunny rabbit, but I don't use those filters anyway because oh. I take myself far too seriously. Well, do you know what's really taken off previously? Everybody's got their lighting game on point. Oh my goodness, the lighting in this world. It, oh. You're right. You're right. When I zoom now, I do sometimes use a side light, like a ring light, and I turn side lights fair, on. I don't like fair. any overhead light. I've worked out my lighting now because otherwise it's just too depressing that I'm in pyjamas and an old cardigan <laughs> with no bra and then I overhead light. No, I will not do it and so I you, do, you just want to light all that as well as you can so people can pick out the no bra and pick out the... No, soft <laughs> lighting so they can't see that great. I'm here in my pyjamas and no bra. I just want to put a spotlight on all of that. Oh, and why not? Stop, why not? Stop, stop lighting up my depressing <laughs> life. Our guest today has presented shows across MTV, Capital FM, BBC Radio 1, BBC Radio 2, BBC 5 Live, 6 Music and the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show and has become the industry's trusted music and film specialist. Her critically acclaimed weekly podcast, Soundtracking, sees her talk to directors, actors, writers and composers about the music that inspired them and how they use their music in their films. From their current release to key moments in their career, she has also talked extensively, openly and vulnerably about this role of social media in our lives, both its strengths and its dangers. Please welcome to the mic, the incredible Edith Bowman! Yeah! <laughs> Thanks, audience. So, Edith, <laughs> we're talking about the self, the yeah. self we put out, the self we put out. Now, what we were talking about, and you've chipped in a bit, uh, but now this mm -hmm. is your official, this is your official, we're milking you yeah. for wisdom now. Okay. Um, which again is, you know, it's the touch of my hand on your udders is I know welcome in this, oh. in this lockdown oh. time. Oh, shivers. Yeah, I'm a feminist, but when I ask other women for ideas, I have to refer to them as cows. <laughs> no, I just have smoking you metaphor. Um, is it? Is it? Is it? Uh, is 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 our use of social media different now? Do you think because we don't have? I feel I only have a virtual self. I have the self that I put on Instagram, the self that I put on Twitter, this part of myself on Zoom, <laughs> but I'm never in a room with anyone now that isn't Tom. So, Edith, how much do you think the use of our virtual self and what we put out there as opposed to our real self has changed? So uh, my biggest gripe with social media and how people sometimes present their lives is 
the kind of negative side of what it does for normal people. So, you know, the go-to for so many people is to portray this kind of perfect life of like, look what I'm able to do. I'm able to do all of this on my own. And I look like this when I go for a walk in the snow, you know, with my five children that I'm able to cook, you know, vegan meals for kind of whatever stuff. And I just feel like that that's this kind of life that's put out there by by not everybody, but but a lot of people is so destroying for other, you know, like some mates of mine who are like single mums in Scotland who, you know, work their arses off and really fucking struggle, pardon my French, do you know what I mean, with with kind of life. And you they to follow these people and they see this kind of God, how are they able to do it? And they never talk about, you know, these people never talk about nannies. They never talk about the staff that they hire and all this kind of thing. There's this whole sort of veneer that goes between the real life that they live and what they then put out on social media. And for me, that's something that I've always had a problem with. And I've always had a bit of problem as well with people who push their kids out on social media because you're making a decision for them that they're going to be in the public eye. Well, without them having if, a choice, if the parents are famous, that's true. I yeah, think, absolutely. Yeah, uh, with with non-famous types, sort of, of stay in touch with their mates and things, and they want to sort of. But if they don't yeah, have you, a profile, them sharing a picture of their child. Well, yeah, and then different. you'd have a private account with you and your family and the friends that you choose to have a family with. I do take my kids to things, but I always say if I'm taking them to things and there's those times where, you know, before all lockdown and stuff, I'd go, please don't take any pictures of the kids and stuff because I want them to have that decision when it gets to that point whether what they want to do with their life. It's not my decision to sort of flaunt them and use them and, you know, as a kind of sort of cash cow sort of thing. I can see it. Like in in 2021, kids getting grounded because they didn't get enough likes, you know, <laughs> and being like, do you see what you've done to mommy's engagement? Okay, get out of here. All you have to do is yeah. be adorable in the snow, but no. So I think that that's my kind of big problem with the self thing is that it's so far removed from the real self of so many people. So what you're saying and is I possibly shouldn't have today posted a picture of myself with professional makeup for no. last year and said going for a walk. No, I think that that's done the world of good, not just for yourself, but for other people. Um, I'm so happy to be an exception to the rule. Uh, but sometimes I do, because nothing's happening to me in lockdown. I've started to have dreams where things happen. People I don't know in my dreams, normally my dreams are like, clearly they're, it's a filing cabinet. Clearly it's trying to sift through everything that's happened. Yeah. And I sort of know why I've had that dream. And last night I dreamt that I was in Paris with two seamstresses and we were being accused of terrorism. Now, <laughs> I don't know any of these people. I didn't Classic. recognize the part of Paris I was in. I think it's my wow. brain desperately reaching for something imaginative because nothing's really happening to me and it doesn't have anything. Right, screenplay. Well. That's a great screenplay. I mean, oh, the, yeah. <laughs> the seamstress's wife. I'm just suggesting things here, <laughs> Hollywood. You don't have to buy all, everything that I dream, but it would be great if you did. Um, for that reason, I've been posting sometimes on Instagram like, oh, this is a memory or this is a featured photo that came up or this was my yeah. first ever, you know, this is an old Edinburgh picture, which I think is funny now or whatever. And I've been posting those. Uh, but of course, sometimes I post things that where I think I look pretty because I just Same. desperately need to feel pretty again because I just don't feel that in lockdown. And because you want to remember those times of where you did something that was exciting or, you know, it was a bit of an adventure or you had a great, you have a great memory from it. That's kind of absolutely fine. But you're not kind of fabricating what your life is. That was part of your life. That was something you did and you went through. You know, you're not kind of 
making stuff up and you're not pretending that you are something else. That was a picture of you doing X, Y, or Z. It seems like to me sometimes like like we're trying to affirm our identities without being able to go out and um, whereas maybe someone would normally be recognized as beautiful on the street, we don't have that anymore. Or not on the street, but like, you know, out in the world. Yeah. And maybe, you know, just on the street, everyone's like, oh, yeah. You don't have those opportunities. Um, or for some people, it's their work. Their work makes them feel like who they are. Um, mm-hmm. And so without being able to do their work as they were before, you know, I'll, I'll admit uh, for a while I was very lost without applause. Uh, and the only reason I'm not lost now is because I had a job a couple weeks ago where I was able to do something that felt like me and reminded me that <laughs> I'm that I exist, you know. Yeah. And people were like, "Good I job," see. and I was like, "I'm real." Um, <laughs> it's just it's where we're at. It's a very strange place to be. I miss the audience so much and for the first few months I was like I really actually needed a break because I'd been on tour or doing something for so Mm. long but now I'm like oh god I miss the energy and the engagement and the the feeling of the guilty feminist audience coming and being there and the electricity in the room and their response and if you're listening and you used to come to the shows or you've come to a show the past I miss you so much because um, it's energy you make each other stronger yeah. right like the audience leaves feeling empowered they know something perhaps that they didn't know before they had a joyful time um and we leave knowing that we you know walked closer to our purpose i guess you know which can be helping people um giving information to people or even helping people to have a bit of a brighter day But I think that that's what social media is kind of almost allowing us all to do in a way is to have a conversation to a point that we would normally have out in public, either in front of an audience or in what you do. And I found that in a way that I kind of sometimes find I'm talking to it, to it's my phone, whatever it is I'm I'm using in a way that I'm. I would if I was out, you know, on a job or, you know, that kind of thing as well. It's It feels like at the minute it's a route close to what we used to have, really. I wonder how long, much longer we're going to be separated from other human beings because I do feel like it is a bit different, me going out and going, oh, here's a picture of me doing this thing and me trawling through old pictures of an old me to post either disingenuously or, or or effectively going, oh, remember this, this was fun or whatever. This is me, you know, doing a show in Sydney. I really miss you, everyone in Sydney. But actually what I'm doing is I'm sort of trying to remind myself and trying to remind my followers of remember this time or trying to connect in so I don't lose that old self. And yeah. I think as a woman and as a feminist and as a human being, I suppose what I'm doing, if I really analyze it, is trying to, it's another way of trying to affect change. Like feminism is always a fight for change. And it's just trying to change yourself in that moment into the more powerful self, into the self that Mm. did leave the house and stand in front of an audience or interact with other human beings or whatever our jobs were, if, you know, we're not able to do them anymore in the same way, to just have that feeling again. And it's to try and, I think, jumpstart the feeling of, a time where I felt, I suppose, if I'm honest, uh, more productive, more connected in order that I can 
feel those things again to try and do some work at home on projects that are more solo in nature and to remind myself like Kima that I'm not invisible that I'm not mm. I am real I'm a real girl cuz I live alone so I have to make noise if I want to hear it or the children do at the elementary school across the street and I think like that's something else to acknowledge like people are living in different states whether it's yeah. with a friend with a family with themselves even if you have a little fishy that you love or a little doggy I almost feel like it's um it gives me the motivation sometimes because there are days where I'm just, I have no motivation whatsoever. You know, on Soundtracking's Instagram page, I try and put out as much kind of film related content as I can. A memory popped up on my phone, photographs of an interview I did with Todd Haynes. And so I was like, oh, wicked, that was two years ago. Right, I'm going to put that up. And so I posted that picture up just saying, oh, this time two years ago, you know, I sat down with Todd Haynes. Um, if you want to listen, check out episode, you know, whatever it was, here's the swipe up for the link sort of thing. And from doing that, I was kind of like, oh, right, I need, I'm going to go and um, see who I'm, um, get some more people to book for the podcast. Um, and it was weird that just kind of weirdly putting that out into the kind of the social media world gave me some kind of weird... I don't know, clarification or motivation to just kind of go and do some more to support this thing that I love and that I started and that has, yeah, it's weird because finding motivation from anywhere at the minute is just really hard. It really is. It really is. Can you tell us about soundtracking and why you started it? I started out with sheer frustration because I was on Six Music at the time and they gave me an irregular slot. So they'd give me three shows in August and four shows in October. And I, I sort of went to them, I said, look, I can give you this every week. You know, I've got the contacts and I know that I could do this every week. And they were like, we just don't have the spot because this is a rotating slot that you're in, you know, where they fill it with different CDs every couple of months. So me and my friend Ben were just like, should we just go and try and do it ourselves? And so we kind of put the feelers out and got, um, someone who knows about podcasts to explain to us how you actually do it in terms of where do you put it and all that kind of stuff. And then I got in touch with some people at film companies and we managed to get our first interview that we recorded was with John Favreau. Disney had worked with me before. It was when he was releasing Lion King and they'd obviously worked with me in the past. And I, I sort of, I asked a favor. I said, look, I want to launch this podcast. I want to talk to John about music, you know, from Swingers to Elf and all that stuff, you know. And they were like, oh, wow, I reckon he'd be really up for that. And so they asked his reps and they said, absolutely. So as soon as we got that name locked in, he was our calling card in terms of we're launching a new podcast. We've got John Favreau in the bag. Would you like to do it? And so we started recording some chats and then we launched it. August 2016, and our first episode was actually with Ben Wheatley, who's been back uh, four episodes he's done now. Wow. And um, and we've missed, since that time, we've missed two episodes. We've released an episode every week. And it's wow. what's wonderful about it being ours. You know, I book all the guests, I record all the interviews, I send Ben the audio and he edits it. That's it, it's just the two of us. And what I love about it is because we're not, you know, affiliated to anyone or anything. We're the bosses. We decide who we have on it. So we may have 
Adam, the composer for St. Maud, his first ever score that he's written, or we might have John Favreau, you know, so it's kind of, there's no agenda, there's no criteria. All we want to do is have a conversation about film and music. And it could be your first film, you could be a producer, a composer, a writer, an actor, a director. It doesn't really matter. We're our own bosses and I love that about it. Oh, I love that, that like sense of empowerment that you get when you like do it yourself and make it happen and don't wait for someone to tell you. I almost find being told no makes me kind of fight back, you know, in terms mm. of I remember when I first started in radio and when I got work experience just before I started uni, the guy, the, the local radio station that I was trying to get work experience sort of said, you know, what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I'd eventually like to be on air. And he was like, I can't put someone with an accent like yours on the radio. <gasps> and I was oh. kind of like, you know, kind of thing, you know, when you you can feel tears just coming up the back of your eye ducts mm. and they're about to sort of seep out. And I kind of swallowed back those tears. And in my head, I was like, I'll fucking show you. Yeah. It's wow. interesting that like Deborah in Making the Guilty Feminist, the world wasn't ready then. And it's like in different forms or um, myself being able to do what I'm doing at present. The scene wasn't, you know, open for it. And so everything in its own time. That's so cool. And look, now, um, you know, everyone stopped hating themselves. And now we can all sound how we sound wherever we want. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, that's a despicable thing to have said. And, you know, you've gone on to show that man that you've got you've had a you know huge career in broadcasting <laughs> she's been talking everywhere i mean That's right <laughs> yeah but it's important to acknowledge that that happened you know and that happened to a lot of people who didn't break through because they yeah they weren't able to and there was an assumption about what kind of voices that people wanted to hear i listened to the one with greta gerwig oh, um, yeah. about the music that she chose for Ladybird, and I was interested in that as a female director coming to a project and trying to work out how to score it and elevate it and how much what you hear um I mean I made an independent film a couple of years ago i I wrote it, and it um uh it, I didn't get to you know choose the soundtrack or anything like that. I watched it, I liked it. Thank you, Kima Bob. But you, <laughs> but you realize at that point, like how much it lifts it, it changes it. You know, if you have independent music underneath, you know, indie songs, that makes it a very different tone from mm -hmm. an oh orchestral score. When I hear like um, songs that I have in my library in a movie or in a show, I'm like, oh, these people. I was like, these people are tuned in. These, these people are with it. These people care. These people want me to watch this show. They obviously are invested. They, I'm like, whoa, if they're rocking to this. Yeah, it's just, yeah, they oh. get me. Absolutely. Do you know those moments where like the music like misleads you and then you're like, what the hell? Like when, um, this, oh, they always do, they trick you with the suspense and stuff. And they're like, somebody's behind that door. And then it's like a puppy. <laughs> and then it's just like, come on, music, you got me again. 
Music is such a powerful thing, though. And in terms of what we've been talking about, in terms of the self and the our ability at the moment to manage ourselves while we're in lockdown and manage our emotions and keep ourselves alive without the connections that we normally have. Music is an enormous mood elevator for me. And I almost don't do anything without music anymore. If I'm writing, I I tend to put on like classical piano music, underscoring. But sometimes if I'm writing a script, I listen to the soundtrack of that script. I kind of create a soundtrack. I remember in the old days when I was out in the world, if I had headphones on and I'd feel like I was in a music video, like on the tube or something, because you'd sort of, you kind of, (laughs) did you ever do that? Do you ever like make a music video up? By just oh, yeah. looking in different directions when you I'd pretend I was in um, in fame when I'd go for the the rare of times I'd go for a run and, and I'd have like <laughs> certain songs and I'd like break out into dance sometimes on Hampstead Heath like a total loser. Excellent. But I was in heaven. heaven. Yeah. I kid you not. So I was on the phone with Deborah earlier. I got off the phone, got on Twitter, down your social media, saw a photo of Beyonce from maybe like ten years ago. The photo reminded me of her song Deja Vu, so I had to listen to it. And I spent about 30 minutes listening to a playlist called Top Hits of 2004. Um, and I was having a great time, and it put me in a, a great energy to hop on with you guys. <laughs> you know, I've got a play where the characters went to university in that era, so all the music is from that era because it's harking back to when they were at university. What excites me about this is how you can create a soundtrack to your own life, how you can listen to artists talk about how they put together a soundtrack for a film and how much a music completely can change a film. And if you mm-hmm. if you, you can go on YouTube and see people have redone the soundtracks to classic films and the film seems like a comedy when it's a tragedy <laughs> or it seems like a suspense or a thriller when it's actually a romantic comedy and they've cut it together with adding different music. At the moment, I think anything we can do to personalise and create uh, a world for ourselves, including curating our music, but also, Edith, I'm very interested in the fact that you made this yourself and I think this is something, as women, we often need to do, that we knock on the right doors, the right doors don't open, although you're a very experienced and very, very well-known and successful broadcaster, those right doors didn't open, so you went, screw this, I'm doing it myself, mm-hmm. and it's become successful on your own terms. I'm so proud of it, I really am, and I kind of hope that, you know, touch with that I can be, you know, I'll kind of do it to the day I die, really, because there's no end point for it, there doesn't need to be. You know, there's plenty of people to speak to. And it's really exciting because um, when you were talking about writing, to, it's amazing how many, if we're speaking to, say, for example, a director that's written the the screenplay as well, like Emerald Fennell with Promising Young Woman with Kerry Mulligan, she wrote to soundtracks that she'd specifically created. They're coming in a, an upcoming episode. I had them together actually talking about it because there's, there's some uh, a couple of really good musical moments in the film as well. That's an amazing film. I can't um, wait to see it. I'm excited. Oh, it's to see so that. great! Promising it's young so... woman. So watch the film and then uh, and then listen, listen to the soundtrack to in the episode. Film, yeah, uh, and see how those decisions are made. Uh, also support Edith's podcast because uh, she's gone out there and done it herself, and it's a beautiful thing. Um, Edith, is there Thank anything you. else you came to say that you didn't get to say? I just want to say thank you for the conversations you've started, to be honest. I remember the first time that I, um, I remember watching you on stage at an award show and I can't remember what award show it was. It might have been... Stylist Live? I think it was Stylist Live, which was what, three years ago, four years ago? Something like that. I think it was and actually only 
They didn't have it's only two. They had they didn't have it last it? year because it got cancelled the last minute because of COVID. So it was twenty nineteen. Was it only two years ago? One. I mean, you were just a whirlwind in that room in terms of your energy and your voice and your honesty. And I'd never had the pleasure of watching you in a room before, you know, with with an audience like what you were talking about earlier about how you miss being in a room with an audience. And you can that evening I really just saw that kind of energy, that synergy, that two way thing that you get, you know, from not everybody's able to do it, but it was it was really obvious that night. And and I just think that the conversations that you are having in such a natural and honest and funny way are so important and nobody else is kind of really doing that. So I just um yeah, I want to say thanks. Gosh, Again. that's so lovely. Thank you. A second that. Haha. That's pepped me up no end when I was feeling a bit feeling a bit down this week. So thank you so much. Thank That's you. really, really lovely of you, Edith. Thank you. I actually think I've got a photo of us together on that from that night. I had two outfits that night. I'm a feminist, but I have two outfits for that night. Yeah. I had a costume change. Yeah. I had a red carpet. Totally got it. That I had a host look. That's right. Yeah, I've got an I do that on BAFTAs. I've got a red, when I'm doing the red carpet for BAFTAs, normally, normally about this time, uh, I have an outdoor freezing my tits off look and an indoor show off my bits look. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that is an excellent way to put it. These are moments like those, I go, wow, I'm so glad I live in the UK. <laughs> Does anyone have anything to plug? Edith Bowman, Soundtracking, your incredible podcast, which we can find wherever we find our podcasts. Yeah, absolutely. Soundtracking with Edith Bowman. And yeah, I'll tell you what, we had a great one last week, which was Zaina Dura. Uh, she's this brilliant British filmmaker. She's made a little film called Luxor with Andrea Riseborough in it. Uh, and she has this fantastic composer. So I did them both together and that was really nice. Um, but, you know, she's a new filmmaker, so it was really nice to enthuse about her work. Um, but... There's kind of something for everybody on there, whether you watch one film a year or whether you, you know, watch five films a week. Um, we try and cater for every type of film fan on there. So, yeah, have a listen. Wonderful. Tell me what you think. Grace Petrie, anything to plug? So cool. Um, just, yeah, just hopefully a record coming out in the spring. But yeah, just follow me, follow me on the Great Evil social media that we've slagged off all episode. Uh, just <laughs> at, at Grace Petrie. Oh, yeah. Grace Petrie Music. Mm -hmm. Kima Bob, anything to plug? Oh, well, yes, Deborah. I'm very prepared for this moment. Um, I'm hosting the after show for the amazing drama, It's a Sin, oh. which you can now find on all four. So that is exciting. Also, I would just like to encourage everyone, um, you know, as we're in this time where we're feeling a bit lost and not like ourselves, to do something every day that makes you feel like you. Um, so for me, it's a bit of journaling and I love to sing really loudly to music from the past. When I do that, I feel like me. I feel great. And so I just want to encourage everyone because we got to try to hold on to ourselves. And um, the music in it's a sense yeah, amazing. Yeah, I was going to say that. It's a bit of a cracking soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. Named after a uh, after a um, pet shop boys. Boy I think they. Might and then Molly Gold, who did the score, who's worked with um, Russell across everything, Queen's Folk, Doctor Who, 
he was on an episode two weeks oh, ago on wow, the podcast. Cool. So mm. there you go. So listen to that. If you don't know, it's a sin. It's a show written by Russell T. Davies. Amazing. Uh, from his experience being a young man in the 80s. Uh, in London, and it's about some young gay people who are just having a wonderful time, being a great gang of friends, experiencing life away from their parents for the first time, most of them closeted because it was the 80s and they didn't know how to tell their parents in a very homophobic society. And then AIDS comes in as a sort of meteorite into their lives, and at first they don't want to believe it, and it's a very moving show. Can mm. I suggest you get yourself a large box of tissues before you begin? Mm. But it is also joyful and funny, and, you know, it's not just unrelentingly bleak. And in fact, what it's I think- gorgeous. The cast is so sexy. It's unbelievable. It's so great. Like the I want the sets. It's phenomenal. It's so great. And meeting them, chatting with them for the after show, they're just the warmest, most lovely, delightful people. The success couldn't fall upon you know any sweeter oh, people. Wow. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, they're yeah. so lovely. And you're doing a fantastic job on the after show. You can see it on Channel 4's Instagram. And can you see it on all four as well, the after show? Yeah, it's coming all four. We've been upgraded, baby. Yeah, you have. Well, it's a phenomenal show. Uh, If you're on Instagram, go to Channel 4 and check out Kima Bob's After Show. And if you've got a British telly, you can go to all four. Get on all fours and uh, check out Kima. And oh, Kima, and Edison is coming to HBO if you're outside of the UK. That's right. If you're in America, you are going to be able to see it very soon on HBO Max. Grace Petrie, David Francis um, White. you often come and provide a musical closure, if you will, to our show. And tonight we've been talking about soundtracking. Yes. And I'd love to make an independent film with your music yes. on my soundtrack. That would be amazing. Crikey, yeah. Cool. Where do I sign? <laughs> um, I mean, you might have to write some bespoke songs. That's for fine. Next, for That's my next fine. Film. I would love to do that. Sorry, I'm just rustling in my bag for the right harmonica. So... What song are you going to sing for us today? Well, yeah, I think I'm going to do one that uh, I think hopefully is quite relevant to a few things we've been talking about. No harmonica, guys. We'll have to go harmonica solo less. But uh, you can imagine one. The harmonica is only in place of the of the fiddle player who moved out to date Guilty Feminist fans. So, uh, um, <laughs> mouth organ, penis, penis, mouth organ. You decide. Absolutely. You know. <laughs> wow. Suck and blow, man. That's what it's all about. Um, I don't know. Is that what it's about? I'm I'm, I'm not an authority. It's not clear. Um, Yeah, so, (laughs) well, um, I wrote a song. So, um, yeah, I've loved, I've just really loved this conversation. What a joy. What a joyous thing to be a part of. And so interesting. So many things that we talked about were so interesting. And I find all that stuff about social media so interesting. And Kima, what you were saying about, you know, the inability to do our jobs and how kind of rootless that's made so many of us feel. And um, and obviously increasingly music is a, is an industry where like we're really encouraged to be massively on social media, you know, and we're really kind of told to put as much of ourselves out there as possible. And, I, and then it sort of dovetailed beautifully with where we ended up talking about doing things independently because I kind of had years and years and years of like knocking on doors in, in music and feeling like I wasn't getting anywhere and then did it kind of did the band camp route and the DIY route and then sort of got to this point where I, you know, I did have like, you know, a small number of people listening to me and that's when I had some really kind of funny conversations with sort of industry type people 
who were kind of interested in selling my my music and and uh, and in particular I remember having this bizarre meeting about social media and it was sort of a really interesting conversation where these kind of social media sort of guru people were sort of taking my kind of suspicion for a lot of things to do with the kind of like business side of the industry and sort of trying to talk about how I could sort of utilize it as a like uh, as a USP. <laughs> yeah. It's like, wow, we're just kind of through the looking glass here, aren't we? Um, but ultimately, like, and, and, it, and it really made me sort of, and it's a funny thing because like, I've always wanted to be a musician and I did, and I have always wanted like, you know, I really wanted the kind of like the big stage and the big audience and the kind of rock star thing. And then kind of the more you start to sort of tour all the time, I don't know, I, I kind of was in this place where I was like, I don't, I, I feel like I'm sort of losing what I do this for, I suppose. And then I kind of ended up writing this song when I kind of came back to myself and realised that I think ultimately like it's an expression of uh, connection, isn't it? So connectivity, that's what it's all about. And I think now more than ever, you know, where so many of us are turning to music and we're turning to you know, the ways that we can feel connected to other people and music is one of the things that we can still do that with. Um, so with that in mind, I'm going to sing you a song that I wrote called um, about, about music industry sharks. Um, and uh, and it's, uh, it's called We've Got an Office in Hackney and it goes like this. got your first real six string you got your heart full of pain you got the makings there kid of a lucrative campaign you got your story and your spirit you got a rock and roll dream we've got an office in hackney we got a really cool team because we love your aesthetic lonely outsider type big up that aesthetic on your socials for the hype Whoever said the revolution wouldn't be televised. They didn't have our contacts, yeah. They didn't have our PR guys. But I was reaching out for a lifeline. Fighting the tide, yeah. And trying to work out why. If my name is up in lights and it's all going right. I've never been as lonely as tonight. Never been as lonely as tonight Well every night I get the spotlight And I take out this guitar And like so many folk before me Use it to open up my scars And I don't know if it's helping Or if it's driving me insane I'm just looking for connection, yeah To know somebody feels the same Yeah, I'm reaching out for a lifeline Fighting the tide, yeah And trying to work out why If my name is up in lights And it's all going right I've never been as lonely as tonight I've never been as lonely as tonight And come rain or wreck or ruin I'll be following these dreams The same way I've been doing Since the middle of my teens 
If there's a single person out there to whom this song something means, I'd take one lonely broken heart over a hundred million streams. Still got this six string, still got my heart full of pain. And I don't know how to fix things, but I'm still in the game. Maybe I don't know what the point is, maybe I'm never gonna see. But long as anybody's listening, this is where you'll find me. I'm gonna be reaching out for a life fest, fighting the tide, yeah, and giving you my best. To turn down all the lights and stay with me in this fight between me and my loneliness tonight. And won't you save me from my loneliness tonight? Whoa! Can you save me from my loneliness tonight? Oh, yes, I'll awesome. do it. I'll save you. I don't care. <laughs> Get over here, Kima. Amazing. That was so Thanks, great. Thanks, mate. Jeez, you should hear yeah. that. I'm Monica Solo. That was so Thank good. That's, uh, that's lovely. I feel that song. Thank you. I do feel that song. Oh, cheers. Oh. You have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Nora Francis White, guest co-host Kima Bob, and our very special guest, Edith Bowman, with music from Grace Petrie. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Selinski for The Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Craftman, Gina DCO, and everyone who made this happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com! Thank you, guys. That was wonderful. Uh, that was a beautiful song, Grace. Thanks, mate. That was, yeah, it was amazing. Thank you. I'll have to read it to you so you can come up with your Is own. Is everyone recording? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I did a stupid clap. It was just a random clap for me. <laughs> oh, I love it. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that. But we don't have picture. We only have audio. So I was like, yeah. well, his, you've I been think doing telly. It. I can tell you've been doing telly. Because you're like, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> make yourself a clapperboard. Um, yes, I'm a human clapperboard. Um.